a new book by a fiction writer was anticipated with the kind of excitement and buzz that is not seen anymore. In the age of internet, information, and images, many publishers doubt the younger generation reads very much. Who and what are the future of American fiction? Joining me, David Foster Wallace, whose thousand-page novel, Infinite Jest, has become the season's most talked-about book. Jonathan Franzen, his latest book is Strong Motion. And Mark Lehner, author of Tooth Imprints on a Corn Dog. Corn Dog. Welcome. It's great to have all of you here. And the reason we have convened you here is to talk about that very subject. Uh, Mark, let me begin with you. I mean, what's happening to fiction, you think, and, and, and its appeal to young people today? I don't know who young people are, where the division is, but... I don't know. I don't know. Um, in is a it, way... Is there an audience, you think? I mean, is it growing? Is it decreasing? Is it impacted by all these things we talk about? You know, honestly, it's something I never think about as a yeah. writer. Um, I, there's an image I have of uh, Bobby Fischer, you know, the chess player, yes. when he was a kid, 16, 15, and he's in his room every night listening to WABC on some little transistor, playing through all the chess games of history, you know, obsessively. Yeah. I don't think at that point he cared about how popular chess was or who was interested no. in it or not. It was just his obsession, his compulsion, what he did. He knew at that point, and that's pretty much how I feel about it. I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, I, I didn't sign on as a sociologist or a professor or I, I mean, this is what I do. I write these books and I'm loyal. I mean, I'm grateful for whatever loyal readership I have and privileged by it and sort of write for that readership. So generally, um, I don't get the sense when I go out there, if I go out on a book tour, for instance, this is just, you know, my empirical evidence is that there seems to be a lot of interest in books out there. Um, notwithstanding all the distractions, notwithstanding the I internet and all that, notwithstanding the technology I that think plays the, I out there. I think notwithstanding the distractions. I don't, I don't think uh, additional media supplant other media. I think they crowd it. I think they sort of impact on the kinds of readers we have. Um, but I'm not certain that there are less readers, and I'm not certain that there are less um, enthusiastic readers. And I'm, I'm certain that there are more readers out there for me, that haven't read my book. So I guess once I exhaust them, then I'll worry about it. Does any of these questions we're talking about <clears throat> influence the way, how you write and the way you write? And, and I mean, because your style is unique and different. Well, I was listening to what Mark said. In a, you know, in a way, I agree. If you think about that stuff, like uh, the size of the audience and how much it will appeal to a reader, you go nuts fairly quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but on the other hand, I think that I think where Mark and I differ a little bit is is I think in a weird way the condition sort of commercially for fiction has bears a little bit on the aesthetics of writing right now because at least at least the generation that I think of myself as part of was raised on television, which means that at least I was raised to view television as more or less my main kind of artistic snorkel to the universe. And I think television, which is a commercial art that's a lot of fun, that requires very little of the recipient of the art, I think affects, the, affects what people are looking for in various kinds of art and I think um, can make the sort of fiction which, if I can lump a bit, I think all three of us do stuff that's at least harder than average, weird, requires some work to read. What's interesting to me is the very phenomenon that perhaps demographically cuts into our audience is a big part of sort of what's going on in the country that I think fiction writers are trying to capture in some way. Okay, what's that? Oh, boy. Um, I hope this is a four-hour segment. Well, I, okay, it is. Cool. <laughs> 
as, Re as reduced by three hours yeah, and 45 minutes. I, I guess as far as I can see, fiction for me, as mostly as a reader, is a very weird double-edged sword. Um, on the one hand, it can be difficult and it can be redemptive and morally instructive and all the good <laughs> stuff we learn in school. On the other hand, it's supposed to be fun. It is a lot of fun, and what, what drew me into writing was mostly memories of really fun, rainy afternoons spent with a book. Um, it, was a kind of a, it was a kind of a relationship. And why did that draw you into writing? Because, I mean, the, the, the love of the book made you want to make, make them be a part of the... Well, I think, see, this gets real abstract. I think part of the fun for me was being part of some kind of exchange between consciousnesses, a way for human beings to talk to each other about stuff that we normally can't talk about. Like, we're sure not going to be able to talk about this stuff here. You know, um, the thing that the thing that interests me in, in a lot of the stuff I think that I do has to do with I think a lot commercial entertainment, its efficiency, its sheer its sheer ability to deliver um, pleasure in large doses, changes people's changes people's relationship to art and entertainment. It changes what an audience is looking for. I would argue it changes us in deeper ways than that and that some of the ways that commercial culture and commercial entertainment affects human beings is one of the things that I sort of think serious or arty fiction ought to be doing right now. And it cuts in in a different way too because um, I think 50 years ago somebody setting out to write uh, a scene at a precinct house basically you know, would go to a precinct house and feel that pretty much anything they had to say about it would be fresh and interesting and now if I sit down to write about, I, I won't. I basically won't write about a precinct house because I see so many of them on TV. They do such a slick job. I'm completely captivated by that, and so that's in my head whether I want it to be in my head or not. And in your reader's head. And in my reader's head as well. And so I, you know, I consider myself my own reader, uh, and so I kind of consult my entertainment habits. Um, so to say that I don't think about an audience is both true and not true because I think about myself as an audience um, and that audience is one that has had its expectations um, regarding all kinds of narrative art profoundly changed by what's happened in the last 50 years. You know, I think it's a, it's a tough audience. I mean, if we can make a monolith out of this audience we're talking about for the sake of discussion, a young audience raised on television is used to um, receiving its entertainment in these kinetic bursts uh, and it's tough to sway people like that to a book to reading a book i mean if you go to public places now first of all i think one of the terrible things that's happening i mean i i watch a lot of tv myself i you know i don't think it's evil in, in any sense but i do think compulsory viewing of television is evil one of the last refuges in which we can read anymore are these these sort of well and it's only between uh, nine and twelve thirty too exactly you know it could be worse a brutal regime we have <laughs> these uh, <laughs> dictatorial i'd say <laughs> now what was i going to yeah. say these these sport. sorts of uh, interstitial zones where people yeah. read like waiting for planes waiting for things yeah. That's sort of the last refuge of peace and quiet. Well, it's no longer because now you go to an airport and they have televisions there. Yeah. So, um, check out lines. These are, now we're dealing with people who almost never experience any sort of downtime in their life from electronic media. But I think one of the things I've always tried to do is accept that as a given, that this is a pretty tough crowd mm -hmm. I'm dealing with, and that I have to come up with the kind of work that's able to somehow compete with that. You know, there's a, uh, in Baudelaire, wrote this great little preface to Flowers of Evil where he said, hypocrite reader, my brother. I mean, so I, 
I have the same kind of feeling where I, I have realized pragmatically that I have to bond with people. I have to somehow um, devote my uh, work to people that may not be such a great readers anymore. But that sounds as if you're almost saying the opposite of what you started out saying. It sounds like you're, you're, you're molding your fiction very much to the kind of readership you expect, um, whereas if... No, I wouldn't say molding. I, I think you have to be aware and realistic and pragmatic about who's reading your work, because I am. I mean, I, I'm not going to say you, ha uh, you know, you don't have to. <laughs> but I, you know, my relationship with my readers is somewhat theatrical. I mean, I really, one of the, one of the main things I try to do in my work is delight my readers. And, you know, and the work is, is hopefully funny. Right. Um, in order to do that, you have to know who they are. I mean, you have to have some notion of how they're taking in this information and what they're used to to play off it in some way. So it's not a matter of, of molding your work necessarily, but you have to know sort of who the patient is you're dealing yeah, with as a doctor. Yeah, but didn't you say, in a sense, without diving into the point, I heard the same thing when we were talking about, in the beginning, the Bobby Fischer mm -hmm. notion. But he was really obsessively was pursuing, he was obsessive pursuing chess. He wasn't thinking about the role of chess or all those yeah, other yeah. questions. I mean, or who was watching who... Well, I'll make a distinction. I mean, I don't, I don't think about, I don't think in sociological terms about dwindling readership and yeah. why and this, when I'm writing. But you do think um, about who do might think, read my I book. I think about and, the people who do read my books. Yeah, and what and what uh, what their habits are. Well, it's because it's an act of communication. The, right. Where the what makes the analogy okay, but also makes it break down, is that part of the Fisher-like obsession Mark's talking about. It consists of a kind of mental and emotional dance with a constructed reader that you figure has a life more or less like yours, and whom, in a weird way, you're talking to. You know, that again, again, I'm I'm like totally with you about fifty percent of it. The thing about it is that delight and fun and all that stuff is definitely that that's that's part of what makes art magical for me. But there's another part. There's a there's the part. And see, I, I'm afraid I'm going to sound like a Puritan or a prig, but there's this part that's... That's okay, that's go ahead. <laughs> My little weird-looking hat on. No, there's this part, there's this part that's, that's, um, that makes you feel full. There's this part that, um, that is redemptive and instructive, where when you read something, it's not just a light. You go, my God, that's me. You know, I've lived like that. I've felt like that. I'm not alone in the world. I mean, you can get, you can get very kind of abstract in the way you talk about it. What's tricky for me is, see... It, w it would be one thing if everybody was absolutely delighted watching TV 24-7, but we have as a culture not only an enormous daily watching rate, but we have a tremendous cultural contempt for TV. I mean, from Newton, Newton minus the vast wasteland has become kind of culture-wide, such that now TV that makes fun of TV is itself popular TV. There's this way in which we who are watching a whole lot are also aware that we're missing something, that there's something else, there's something more, while at the same time, because television is really darn easy, um, you sit there, you don't have to do very much, um, and in many ways... It's not easy to do, though, yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, no, we never suggest that. But, you know, there's, there's also, I mean, there's, there's a second model you can sort of come at the audience problem yeah. which, with, uh, which is that um, people who read books, who seriously read books, who read a lot of books nowadays, it's like, like a priori not of the mainstream. You have a weird audience who is defined in large part by their non-participation in... <coughs> mass entertainments of that kind and and it, i think uh, another way you can go about it is to just basically keep on doing the same old kind of book making little subtle nods to the uh the fact that it's now 1996 and so not what, the, only people who, the only people who read like serious fiction are people who don't watch tv no no uh, thank you for drawing that out for me Dave. <laughs> <If> you, <coughs> no um, I, if i've misheard enlighten me 
I, my impression is that people who read feel who read a lot of books, uh, just seat of the pants sense is that they don't they, they they do that because they don't fit in in some way. At some point in their lives, they've they've found solace. They've found it necessary to to engage with books uh, because the community, the society around them, is not giving them everything they need. And I think that's a that's a fair description of a person who continues to read challenging books that require sort of a, an effort of concentration. Yeah, I want to ask that you, especially you, about that. It is it is that? Do you think that? I mean, your books are known to be the one. This book is known to be complicated and long, compared even to the internet. Um, is it simply because that's the way you express what you have to say, or is it some sense of design there? Yeah. There's, there's some sense of design. Part of it, I think, is for me, is, it's, it's weird. I feel like I'm kind of, if you put these two guys in a blender, um, I guys? am these guys, these guys, these guys sitting right here. I mean, part of it, we, one of the things that I want is to do something that is, yeah, it's complicated and it's hard um, and it's weird, but it's also seductive enough so that you're willing to do the work to go through that. And a lot of that has to do with trying, trying, yes, to be, to be delightful and okay, to have it be delightful. If you put us in a blender. So well, I'm the one who's not delightful. A very soft saying? blender and not with sharp blades. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just, I, I, I like guess, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's not any kind of tactic or whatever, but I think, at least for me, the way I am as a writer comes very much out of what, what I sort of want as a reader. And, and what sort of got me off, you know, when I was reading. And a lot of it has to do with, good Lord, I'm really stretching myself. I'm really having to think and process and feel in ways I don't normally feel. And the book, the book has motivated me to do that. Let me ask this, if we talked all around this, is what you like to read different today than it might have been 10 years ago? What you like to read and why? Oh, 10 years ago, what? Uh... GQ, yeah, Hardy Boys, yeah, right. exactly. Well, but you know what I mean. I mean, in terms of what's on the landscape today, and what you want to read, is it different than it might have been? I don't read. I don't really read, and I don't read con much contemporary fiction. I have to say. Yeah. Why not? You know, I'm not quite sure why not. I, there may be some anxiety about um, the influence of it in some way. You know, just a wanting... Subconscious influence on the way you write? Yeah, or? yeah. I, I, um, I also love reading nonfiction and just grab it at the library every week. Just books about every sort of thing. Um, and I'm also catching up, I think, on what I should have read, you know, when I was getting high and screwing around all the time. I mean, I'm re-educating myself to some degree. Um, you what? <laughs> Might want to edit that part. <laughs> I said I'm finished with that now, yeah. <laughs> um, which I found is not a bad thing to do. I mean, it's not a bad thing to read all of uh, to read the books we were supposed to have read. Do you in read college mostly then, I, but I mean, you don't read contemporary fiction. But do you read not mostly really. nonfiction then? Mostly nonfiction and then older sorts of things. Mostly, you read what, what today? Yeah. If I understand your question. Ten years ago, I was reading a lot more avant-garde stuff, and I thought it was very cool. Um, one of my complaints right now um, is that be because I think commercial entertainment has conditioned readers to want um, kind of more easy fun, I think avant-garde and art fiction has sort of relinquished the field. And is now, basically, I don't read much contemporary avant-garde stuff because it's hellaciously unfun. A lot of really serious. Well, was it hellaciously unfun yeah, five years ago and ten no, years ago? Well, the when stuff I was reading ten read. years ago was avant-garde stuff from like the '60s and early '70s, oh, okay. which, as far as I can see, was kind of the the heyday, um, okay. at least of contemporary avant-garde stuff. But these days, a lot of it is very academic and cloistered, um, 
and, and basically written for critics and college teachers and PhD students, and it's something that I, I, I feel a lot more strongly about that than I do about TV. Let me, for those, in, in a sense, Jonathan, for those who say uh, the novel is dead and you know, the age of fiction is past, you three are witness to what? Or testimony to what? Oh, I'd say we're, we're witness to, we're, we're testimony to the fact that it is not dead, that people are still doing it, that there's still audience for it. It might yeah. not be the kind of big clout audience uh, that, that uh, Mailer and Hemingway had in the 50s. And, and uh, the novel dead, I think the, no the novel and its audience uh, may be returning to a point uh, before, there was kind of a golden hundred years before TV and movies had fully taken over but after universal education or nearly universal education had pr produced a large audience of readers. That, the novel was the only game in, uh, in 1880, 1890, 1900. Infinite Jest, uh, David Foster Wallace, Strong Motion, Jonathan Renzen, and Mark Lehner's Tooth Imprints on a Corn Dog. I thank you for coming. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Charlie. My thanks.